Happy Friday, everybody. This is the Liberty or Death podcast. I'm Alex Strom. Aaron isn't here right now. He had some prior engagements, so I'm kind of lone wolfing this one today. I also wanted to apologize for not having a show Wednesday. It is finals week at school, so it's been pretty hectic lately, but I'm ready for a good show today. Today we're going to have a follow-up on Sri Lanka. We're going to talk about the CNN town hall and a heroic Uber driver who was fired. But let's start with Sri Lanka. Unfortunately, the death toll is now at 359 people in the aftermath of the bombings. 58 people have been detained in connection with the bombings, and the president of Sri Lanka is asking for the resignation of the defense secretary and the national police chief. Apparently, they ignored intel intel reports with warnings of the possible attacks. The Islamic State in Iraq and Syria claimed responsibility for attacking the Christians at the churches and the attacks on the hotel. Now this brings us to another issue here, more relative to American politics. After the attacks, both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton sent out tweets about it. There was just something kind of odd about these tweets. Former President Obama said, The attacks on tourists and Easter worshippers in Sri Lanka are an attack on humanity. On a day devoted to love, redemption, and renewal, we pray for the victims and stand with the people of Sri Lanka. Hillary Clinton said, On this holy weekend for so many fa- for many faiths, we must stand united against hatred and violence. I'm praying for everyone affected by today's horrific attacks on Easter worshippers and travelers in Sri Lanka. Easter worshippers. And this is where I have an issue, because they're referring to Christians as Easter worshippers. The same people who refuse to say radical Islamic terrorists which these radical Islamic terrorists are responsible for these attacks, won't call Christians Christians. And Christians don't worship Easter. We celebrate Easter by worshiping the resurrection of Christ. And then literally an hour and 54 minutes later, Barack Obama sent out a tweet, a, a picture of him and his family saying, to all who celebrate today, happy Easter from our family to yours. So we celebrate Easter and are Christians when we're not the subject of a terrorist attack committed by radical Islamic terrorists. But if we're a member of a terrorist attack by a radical Islamic terrorist, then we're Easter worshippers. But I guess this all comes back to the idea that Christians can't be oppressed, you know, because of the Crusades and we're Bible-thumping and Bible-loving and blah blah blah. Even though there's a Christian genocide in Iraq and Syria. And while we're speaking of Democrats on Twitter, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I know we always talk about her, she tweeted 14 times, almost instantly, about the terrorist attacks on New Zealand last month, politicizing it, making it about Muslims and guns, but she hasn't tweeted once about the attacks in Sri Lanka. I guess that only works when you're trying to politicize things. The last thing I'm going to say about this, and I think that we have a huge issue here on, on governing and legislating based on emotion, rather than on a factual or logical basis. And it really comes down to the amount of life, lives lost in tragic events, which triggers an emotional response. If you look at the Parkland shooting, 17 people were killed. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But you see that, and then you have the CNN town hall with Marco Rubio and Dana Lash, where they're attacking them and trying to promote gun control. But then when you hear about the black-on-black, mostly black-on-black, inner-city violence in Chicago, where they're killing each other at enormous rates, no one wants to hear about it. No one's going to make a difference about it. It's because you hear about a couple people getting killed there because it's one or two lives lost per shooting. But then you have one shooting that kills 17 people, and all of a sudden, everything changes. The storyline changes, their agenda changes. One person being killed from gun violence is just as bad as 50 being killed from gun violence. But just because there were more lives lost in one instance doesn't change anything, and that doesn't mean that we have to change everything. What happened in Christchurch was horrific. 
but legislation and governance can't be run by emotions and has to be decided based on facts and on logic. Before we go on to the next topic, here's a quick word from our sponsor. There is a new book out now called On Fire by G. Stone Johnson that I really enjoyed. It is a true life adventure spanning a 30-year career of a firefighter paramedic. It is filled with more than 66 calls including house and condo fires, rescues, medical emergencies, gunshot wounds, and vehicle traumas. G. Stone Johnson was able to put you in his place to feel what it really was like being a frontline first responder. He helps you experience what it feels, sounds, and even smells like being alone in a raging house fire. After a busy day of fires and rescues, finally return to the firehouse and laugh at the firehouse antics and all the pranks pulled on each other. Sit down with my brother and sister firefighters for a nice hot dinner when all of a sudden the alarm rings and we start again. This book is a must read for anyone interested in becoming a first responder or just interested in the topic in general. You can get On Fire on Amazon.com and on Kindle, but you must type On Fire by G. Stone Johnson. It is a really good book. Please go check it out. So if you've been following, the Democratic presidential candidates are now at like 20 or 21 people, and they had a CNN town hall on Monday with some of the top candidates. I wasn't able to watch it Monday night, but I did play Steven Crowder's drinking game for the town hall on Tuesday, and let's just say I had a lot of beer. The first thing I want to talk about is Elizabeth Warren. Senator Warren has a proposal for student debt relief, and it's pretty ridiculous. Her plan would cancel $50,000 of student debt for anybody who makes under $100,000, and it would provide substantial cancellation for people with incomes in between $100,000 to $250,000 and would increase Pell Grants. So here's the issue though. The people who make over $100,000 that wouldn't get that $50,000 kickback, you know, people who actually make huge contributions to, the, to society and go through many, many years of schooling and licensing and training, expensive school too, like doctors and lawyers, wouldn't get that $50,000 kickback from the government. And there's also no clear definition of the substantial cancellation for people that make over $100,000, and I'm going to guess that it probably wouldn't be $50,000. So why should other people be forced to pay for something that you bought, something you pursued, and something that you get to keep, and you have to pay for it at all? Does this work for credit card debt too? Car loans? They have debt too. They were free to make that choice, just like the people who chose to pursue a college degree, so why not cancel all debt at the cost of the taxpayer? And should people who already have paid off their student loans get a reimbursement from the government? The left is always talking about privilege, male privilege, white privilege. Why do some people get the privilege to get a meaningless degree in gender studies and rack up huge student loans and get their loans paid off for them, but some people won't because they already paid it off? Are college students now more priv privileged for being in college now instead of 20 years ago? And this is also going to cost $650 billion, but $5 billion to secure the border is way too much money to spend because we, they have to be fiscally conservative when they're trying to stop Republicans from doing things. Next up is Kamala Harris and gun control, and here's what she had to say about that. I'm sure that there are plenty of students here who, while you were in um, high school, even middle school, that you had to participate in a drill, right? where you were convened and your teachers taught you about how you need to go and run in a closet because there may be a mass shooter roaming the hallways of your school. And in our America, that should never have to happen. Conversations take place every night. Conversations take place every night between students and their parents. Why do these things have to happen? Why do we have to have a drill like that? To which, of course, the response is, because there are people in Washington, D.C., supposed leaders, 
who have failed to have the courage to reject a false choice, which suggests you're either in favor of the Second Amendment or you want to take everyone's guns away, supposed leaders in Washington, D.C., who have failed to have the courage to recognize, you know what, you want to go hunting, that's fine. But we need reasonable gun safety laws in this country, starting with universal background checks and a renewal of the assault weapon ban. But they have failed to have the courage to act. So, Ben, here's my response to you. Upon being elected, I will give the United States Congress 100 days to get their act together and have the courage to pass reasonable gun safety laws. And if they fail to do it, then I will take executive action. And specifically, what I will do is put in place a requirement that for anyone who sells more than five guns a year, they are required to do background checks when they sell those guns. I will require that for any gun dealer that breaks the law, the ATF take their license. And by the way, ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Well, the ATF has been doing a lot of the A and the T, but not much of the F. Mm. And we need to fix that. <laughs> and then... On the third piece, because none of us have been sleeping over the last two years, part of what has happened under the current administration is they took fugitives off the list of prohibited people. I put them back on the list, meaning that fugitives from justice should not be able to purchase a handgun or any kind of weapon. So that's what I'd I get really annoyed how the left just assumes that there's no background checks when you go to buy a gun. You hear, we need to pass universal background checks. But here's the thing. We already have background checks. When I went to get my concealed carry license, just to, just to carry, not even to buy a gun, but just to carry, I had to go through a background check. I even had to fill out an application that talked about my, I talked about my mental health history. And then she talks about, she, she appeals to the emotional side of people by saying that we shouldn't have to have drills for school shooters. You shouldn't have to have kids that are preparing for the possibility of a school shooter to happen. And I understand that it's a horrible thing to have to have kids practice this. But the reality is that we need to practice it because no amount of gun control is going to stop these things from happening. If it's not a gun, it's going to be a knife or it's going to be a bomb. People are, you can make bombs, you can drive a car into a crowded area and kill just as many people as you can with a gun. And it kind of goes along with the same idea of a gun-free zone. A gun-free zone only stops people who are law-abiding citizens from carrying a gun into that specific area. If you take a look at any school shooting, the only people who obeyed the law of a gun-free zone are the people who weren't trying to commit a crime. So when you have a gun-free zone, you have people like myself, which I carry pretty much everywhere I legally can. I'm not going to carry in that area because I can't legally do it, and many other gun owners who would also be able to stop the one individual who wouldn't follow that law and would try to commit a mass murder in the first place, we can't stop them. And this is the thing, 97% of mass shootings happen in gun-free zones because there is minimal risk compared to going into a gun-free a gun show and trying to shoot people. For example, the Oval at Ohio State. There's 60,000 students that go to Ohio State. When the weather's nice, and as we all know, more crime happens in better weather, people are sitting out in the Oval, hundreds and thousands of people are on the Oval, not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of people are on the Oval, laying down in the sun, reading, studying, playing with the playing games, playing frisbee, whatever they're doing. They're so vulnerable and they have no way to protect themselves when the one person because they, you know, they're obviously going to stop when they see that it's a gun-free zone because that happens every single time. 
they're vulnerable. If I'm walking through the Oval and someone pulls out a gun to start shooting students, I'm able to be there to stop him before a cop, we have to wait for the cops to get there and take him down. It's going to save lives. And Kamala Harris also said that, you know, she, you heard her say within 100 days of Congress doesn't take action against guns, she's going to circumvent Congress and take executive action to stop, to, to implement gun control laws. Which, it's funny because these are the same people that are going at Donald Trump because he's been taking executive action on things like the wall, which I don't agree with, I think it's wrong, but they're hypocrites, they don't really care about it anyway. And finally, the climate change talk. As we all know, the world is going to end in 12 years, so we need the Green New Deal, right? I'm not going to bore you with hearing Democratic presidential candidates answer easy questions and talk about climate change, so I'm just going to give you a rundown on why climate change is not an existential, an existential threat. And I want to preface this by saying that I'm not a climate denier. I believe that climate change is real. I believe it's mostly natural. I believe that there is some kind of man-made influence on it, but for the most part, it is a natural thing. So let's, let's kind of dive into this. So on a geologic scale of, of just the, the, the time, the, the life of the planet, right? Millions and millions of years. We were in an ice age about 10,000 years ago. We're still coming out of that ice age right now. 10,000 years on a geologic scale like that is not a very long time. It's very minimal. So as of right now, we're still coming out of it. And it's going to get warmer. But eventually it's going to get colder again. And also, we're in what's called a solar maximum. A solar maximum is when the solar flares are a lot stronger and more active than other times. And these solar flares are also causing things to get warmer. And now you hear from the left the 97% of scientists agree that climate change is a very serious issue. That's bullshit. Basically, if you didn't believe that climate change wasn't a real threat, you weren't included in the study. And also, these people who say that climate change is a real threat and they need to have funding to fund their research, that's also, that also makes me really skeptical. Not trying to say that they're lying. I try to believe in the good of people, which might be naive sometimes. But everyone should be skeptical of that because they're going to get grants from the government to continue research. So why wouldn't they promote the fact that climate change is actually happening? And there's also a petition with 30,000 atmospheric scientists on it that also say that climate change is not an existential threat. And then you look at people want to go green. They want to have solar and wind energy and they want to have electric cars. Solar and wind energy are not profitable. And then these electric cars, when they're being produced, they actually pollute more in the production of these cars than they actually stop from actually being driven around. The right solution is nuclear energy. It's the safest, cleanest, and most efficient, but everyone gets so scared because they hear, oh my god, it's nuclear, we can't go nuclear, when it's just, it's a better resource, it's a better energy source, but no one wants to go that way. So no, I'm not a climate denier. I know that climate and weather are two different things. I don't like seeing turtles get caught in a six-pack ring from a thing of coke or choking on straws. I don't like seeing pictures of the ocean full of trash. But the idea that climate change is going to have serious impacts and that the U.S. government can fix it is just completely asinine. And every single climate change prediction has been wrong. According to Al Gore, Florida is supposed to be gone right now. The polar ice caps have more ice than ever before. The Great Lakes were supposed to have no living vegetation by now. They have more vegetation than ever before. And that was supposed to be due to climate change. So yes, I think we should be more environmental. We need to be friendly to the environment. I don't like seeing our environment get polluted. But these ideas that the left is pushing that we need to completely change our economic system and tax people like crazy and spend $93 trillion over 10 years or else we're all going to die 
is just completely wrong. And as I said, town halls are incredibly stupid because it's all just softball questions that are so easy to answer that have no kind of challenge whatsoever. Before we go on, make sure you follow us on all social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching the Liberty or Death podcast, on Instagram at Liberty or Death podcast, and on Twitter at Liberty or Death P. Follow us to get updates on the show, news, and the best political memes out there. I'll be right back after this short break. And here's a story that no one is talking about, but everyone should be. An Uber driver was fired for not taking a 20-year-old woman to get an abortion, and now she's suing the Uber driver. So here's the story. A 20-year-old college student in upstate New York reported an Uber driver for refusing to take her to get an abortion. And now she's looking to take legal action. She said, I'm in college in upstate New York, and I don't have a car on campus because it's expensive. I'm 20 years old, and I found out I was pregnant, and subsequently it decided I wanted an abortion because I'm in no position to care for a child. Alright, if that's the case, you shouldn't be having sex in the first place. I'm just going to throw that out there. She found a clinic about an hour from her university because the nearby Planned Parenthood had a schedule that didn't work for her. She said, because I don't have a car, I rely on Uber and Lyft to get me places. She said, my appointment was at 11.30 a.m., so at 9.58 a.m. my Uber arrived and he immediately seemed uncomfortable. After about five minutes in the car, he asked, are we going to a Planned Parenthood? I said no, because we weren't, but it set off alarm bells that he would even ask that. The destination I put in was just the name of the doctor and the address of the clinic. There was nothing that, we w- that would suggest it was an abortion clinic. After a few more minutes, he asked, are we going to an abortion clinic? I was shocked. I had no idea what to say, so I just remained quiet. He then said, I know it's none of my business, but, and proceeded to mention something about his wife being pregnant, how awful the procedure was, and how, and he proceeded to explain it in graphic detail, and that there is so much they don't tell you. Which is true, they, most women actually feel like they're forced into having an abortion when they go to abortion clinics. He then said, you're going to regret this decision for the rest of your life, and that I was making a mistake. About halfway to the clinic, apparently the driver pulled over with no warning. He said, I'm sorry, but I can't take you the rest of the way. I can take you back to the city, but you won't be able to find another Uber out here. She called her boyfriend and got a hold of him, and he said to call the clinic and inform them she'd be late. What a great guy, not even going with his girlfriend to see his baby get murdered. She said, I got out of the car and immediately started crying. I called my parents each three times, but they didn't pick up. Then I called my boyfriend, and he picked up right away. He managed to calm me down and told me to let the clinic know what was happening and to call some local cab companies. The driver then hung around for 10 to 15 minutes and asked once more if I wanted to go back with him, but she said no. After he left, a cab came, and she got to her appointment about an hour late. The driver, who actually had good reviews from, from all of his, of his uh, passengers, was fired after the woman filed a report against him. She said, I reported the driver to Uber, and the next day I filed a police report with my city's police department. Someone on Uber's team got in touch with me after I told them about the police report and called me to get a detailed account of what happened. I told them everything on a call that was recorded, and the rep mentioned that it appeared the driver had taken a less direct route to get me to my destination prior to dropping me off. Within a few days, they reached out again and told me the driver had been banned from Uber. But then she said that wasn't enough, and she wants to prefer, pursue further legal action. She asked, do I have a case? What should my next, step, what should my next steps be? And this was all asked on Reddit, too. 
She said she reached out to a law firm, but nothing has happened. She's not sure what to do now. So let's talk about this real quick. Do you think the driver was wrong, or do you think that he was doing the right thing? Let me know in the comments, because I think that he did the right thing, for the most part. Now, it said that he didn't take a direct route, which is probably wrong. He shouldn't have done that. But he was probably scared of what to do. He didn't know what to do. He wanted to stop, but didn't know if he should or not, because it's his job to drive people places. That's what Ubers do. They drive people places. So I can understand why he would feel the need to go do this. I personally would not have driven her to an abortion clinic. I would have denied it. I would have told her no. I, that's, that's why I don't work for Uber. That's why I don't drive for Uber. But also, the driver isn't wrong here when he's trying to talk to her or tell her about these things. Because they don't tell you things. Most women feel like they're forced into having an abortion. And that's not to talk about the things that happen afterwards where you're more likely to get cancer, you're less likely to have kids, to be able to get pregnant again, and you're six times more likely to commit suicide after having an abortion. And this is, this is one of the issues that people think that, that places like Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics are for women when they're not. It's a business, so they're going to co like try to coerce, they're salesmen. They're going to try to coerce you into having an abortion. I used to be a salesman. I know what it's like to try to get someone to buy something. That's what they're doing. They try to tell you there's no other options. It's too expensive. Have the baby or have the abortion and it's like it never happened. Which isn't true because people die and women die in abortions. Babies have their skulls ripped apart. It's not pretty. And the amount of crisis pregnancy centers that actually, they, they far outnumber the amount of abortion clinics. And crisis pregnancy centers are volunteer-driven and donation-funded, unlike Planned Parenthood, that gets $500 million taxpayer dollars per year to kill babies. And we will end on that note. Thank you all for listening. Please like this and share it so we can get our voices out there. Until next time, this is Alex Strom on the Liberty or Death podcast, signing off. <laughs>